This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I gained a new appreciation about how different everybody's bodies are. You know, we are all in a different spot. And when we say it's not necessarily for everybody, it's so complex that there does need to be some restraint and some respect for fasting. Hello and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Lama for short, I'm Peter Bose, and this is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. My guest today is Doug Orchard. Doug is a filmmaker, a director and producer with an obvious passion for telling stories about the extraordinary potential of the human body. Doug's documentaries include The Motivation Factor, an award-winning film about physical education and why the lack of it in many societies causes so many problems. Doug's latest documentary is simply called Fasting and it explores many of the issues that we've talked about on this podcast over the past year. Well, you can see why I'm interested, and I should say for the purposes of full disclosure that Doug interviewed me for this film and I appear in it, but uh, I had no role in the actual production of the documentary, which is all the work of Mr. Orchard. Doug, it's good to see you. Hey, thank you for having me. It is a fascinating film, and you have really some of the world's leading experts on this subject talking about fasting and whether actually my contribution sheds any light on the bigger picture, I don't know. But it it was fun to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Um, When I wanted to look at this question of fasting, what I saw out there in many cases was two camps. Those who are totally positive towards fasting, you could fast without any limitation. There's never a downside to it. And then the other camp is Fasting super dangerous. We shouldn't be doing it. It's way too early. In fact, I even had two researchers who would not appear on the film about their own research because they were nervous about that very topic. So how do you how do you do it? How do you do it in a balanced way? And um, so it was uh, something I had so much positive experience with myself. I want to do this right and do it balanced and do it in a way that would inform those walking into it who've never touched it that they would have a point of reference as well as those who are experts in various uh, modalities that they could learn on the other experts of the modalities. And you raise an important point, and we should say that on this podcast, we don't offer medical advice. We discuss ideas, we present ideas, and really, I want people to make up their own minds because uh, it is a, a big issue. And as you say, fasting can be extremely dangerous. It can kill if it is done in the wrong way. And indeed, it is not for everyone. It simply isn't appropriate for everyone. So uh, always bear that in mind. Before we talk in more detail about the film, let's talk about you and and how you got here. I mentioned you've made a number of documentaries, um, and I described it as a fascination with the human body. What brought you to this? Um, I, I was doing corporate work in, in the last decade, and I had an opportunity to do a, my first documentary in 2009, The Truth About Pandemic Flu, when the H1N1 broke out. And I did that with Tommy Thompson and cooperation with the CDC and the FDA and some other scientists. And um, from that moment, I liked the whole experience of the documentary. And I saw that there were things you learned through that more of an objective research and looking at a question in a little bit longer format that there was some insight. Uh, 
Um, it wasn't until I had a health challenge about two years later um, that I became super interested in health. Um, I had uh, always worked out. I always ate as, as, as good as I could. At least what, what I understood was eating healthy. But I had climbed on. You know, the weight had come on. Um, I think I was 212 on average. And, and, you know, after the New Year's, I would peak out at 224. I'm, right now, I'm in my 170s. And um, what I learned is, is that if you can incorporate positive things in your life, you can reverse some of this errors that happen every decade in your cells. And it's all about the condition and the health of your cells. And I saw my body transform. I saw my health transform. And more importantly, I felt different. I was happier. Um, I had better relationships with people. My productivity doubled, doubled at work. My creativity soared and everything became better. And so... And, and what was the key thing that you did to achieve that? Actually, it was a lot of things. It was involved... Um, it involved sleeping, you know, going to bed earlier. It, it definitely involved a different way to exercise than I was doing, um, a more high intensity, and that made a big difference. Um, but I, I would say what probably made the biggest impact for me was to stop eating um, so late at night. I had a habit of having cold cereal or nachos or whatever at night at night, watching old friends or whatever episodes. I think the been there, huh? uh, so when that ended and I stopped eating at six, that that helped, and my my weight has um, not fluctuated from November the twelfth through January the twelfth. I, I it, uh, November excuse me, November the twelfth through July the twelfth, I only fluctuated one pound up or down um, by sticking to that and then doing the periodic fasting. Um, I was I had a lot of skin problems. A lot of skin problems. I've had things taken off my neck, my ear, right here. The reason my hair is longer is just to cover my ear, so I won't have any more things chopped off. Um, that's all stopped uh, as I've changed my diet, as I've incorporated fasting in my lifetime. But I've done about 524-hour fasts throughout my life. I've done uh, probably 900 days of intermittent or time-restricted feeding. I, I don't know how many four, four or five-day fasts I've done in a row as well over the last two years. And what I found is it's been really helpful in cleaning me out, getting my cells to the point that even those days I don't eat well, it doesn't make any difference the next morning when I check the, the scale. It's kind of shocking. So long as everything else is staying in queue, my control is better. So I've had, I've had a lot of nice things that happen. But what the impact it, it made on me during this time period is I watched our politics, you know, just even get worse. Um, everybody's fighting about you know, how we're going to pay for our health care. And I'm of the opinion now that from what I've seen that our, our health care costs could probably go down by 80% at the federal level. And I don't think it would be that hard to do. And it comes down to education. So um, my films are the first place they go is, is to the um, is to the medical community. So before we get waylaid by politics, sure. let me just delve a little bit deeper into, because yeah. I know people are, are curious. You're yeah. talking about your, your sleep regime, mm -hmm. your, your diet, your intermittent fasting, periodic fasting. Sure. Break it down and, okay. what, and what give me the, the, the details of your schedule and what, what kind of diet you eat in between times when you're not fasting. I get up about 5.36 and I do all my creative work first. I exercise from 8 to 10 and I eat at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock for the first time of the day. 
And the last morsel I'd ever eat would be before 6 o'clock p.m. And I do that, I would say, I'd probably only break that rule maybe once or twice a year. Um, My body's not interested in food now after that time. My brain kind of got rewired. Does it make social activities problematic in the evening? Um, Not anymore for me. Um, I'm not... Probably still for my wife, but she's now doing it with me. So we're both kind of this this weird group who are sitting there and not eating at at wedding receptions because it's after six. Um, Oh, you would take it that far? You would go to an event and not eat? Yeah. I I actually didn't eat at my daughter's wedding reception last month. Wow. (laughs) But, but, um, you know, it was just cake. So I was going to eat that anyway. I, I found that I have a difficult time processing wheat products now in my body and a lot of dairy. And it's just not worth it to me anymore. So I don't really have much of that. I do eat meat, but I eat it sparingly and it's only clean meat. I typically never eat it going out because I most places that you go to, it's not going to be clean. So that's where I, I'm doing salads or whatever. And this is red meat as much as white meat or fish? Um, red meat, I kind of, someone told me that it takes a long time for red meat to process through the body. And so I, if I can, I, I kind of remember when I had it last. It'll be like once every three weeks if I have red meat. Um, fish, I don't really count. And I don't worry how often I have that. Um, and chicken, you know, might be two two times a week or something like that. And you don't count fish because you generally consider it to be positive. Um, if it's clean, I, don't, I, know, I know that it can go through my body in the time period. I would only eat meat once a day if I have it. And it's in a smaller quantity than most people have it. Mm. But that's typically what I do with meat, and I eat a lot of leafy greens and nutrient-dense foods and uh, nuts and everything else. Basically, I like what Jack LaLanne followed, this idea of if man made it, don't eat it. He also ate at 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock each day, which is interesting. And um, he worked out two hours before it. He was working out in a fasting state. Um, And I do that, and I actually feel better if I end my eating about 4, 4 4.30. But that socially is about impossible if you have a family, and I've got a family. Mm. So, um, so you'd end eating by 6 p.m. Right. and go to bed by? I try to go in my bed by 9, 9.30 and read until I fall asleep. So typically about 10 o'clock, 10.30. And um, then you're getting I, up again, you say, 5.30, 5.30, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a good night's sleep. And, and, I, and do you sleep solidly? Um, usually I do, as long as I'm exercising in the sun in the morning by 8 o'clock, Yes. If I don't, which we just went through this this weird time period in in California, where at least where I'm at, with a lot of fog, and and I got I actually got sick for the first time in five and a half years. I got that flu. Um, my sleep just fell apart instantly, and it was super interesting because my wife she doesn't fall asleep as fast as I do. And she's like, "Wow, it's mm. <laughs> usually you're gone instantly." So. Um, it's, it's a habit that I don't want to change. It's working for me. It sounds good. And your exercise, what, what exactly do you do? I actually do something that I don't think most people understand. Um, everything I do has been – is patterns that people have done for thousands of years. Um, they're more of the restorative arts category. So like kettlebells, people recognize those. I definitely do kettlebells. I use Persian meals, um, which they developed in Persia, uh, Indian clubs, uh, the wand, um, a gata, which is like a mace. Um, people would understand a mace if you ever saw, you know, the war movies where they have a big long stick or iron cast mm. thing with a ball at the end, and they have the big guy in front. Are you kind swinging of around the deck. Your head? Is that the thing? So you swing in a three sixty pattern and a ten and two. That's called. Um, but mine's actually homemade gata. It's a wood thing, and it's even 
it's more intense. And, and um, this is a documentary in itself. <laughs> yeah, and then I do uh, calisthenics that they were doing. It's called the strength and endurance routine that that old high school did, um, that La Sierra. So I do that, and incidentally, they got that from like the Marines and everything. Marines just started doing that workout on January 1st as a result of that film, which is kind mm. of fun. And you work out by yourself? I do. I would like to do it with other people, but I'm just my the fact I'm doing it at 8 in the morning to 10, and, and, um, and I have to do it outside. I love – I'm barefoot. I'm on the grass. I'm doing my thing, and it's a lot of fun. And so, living in California helps in right, that respect. Right, that, Yeah. Yeah. So let's just uh, talk a little briefly about the motivation factor, which was uh, – this is an award-winning film. Yeah, it's about right. exercise or, as I said, the lack of exercise and the mm-hmm. effect that that's having on society. Just tell us a little bit more about it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Yeah. So the, the storyline looks at a school that existed 50 years ago. It, it's no longer. But it was a school that John F. Kennedy saw and uh, liked what they were doing just at the time he was trying to promote quality physical education and held them up as a model. And they got 4,000 high schools in the country to follow that in a very short time period. It was nothing more than just regurgitating what once was historically. A lot of people don't, aren't aware that in the 1800s, um, it was recommended in American schools that we spend one third of our time doing physical education. It's hard to believe today, but, but it's almost being nipped everywhere. And in Greece, ancient Greece, they spent half their time. And it wasn't about the abs and the biceps. It was because of the link to everything else we do. And, and a lot of people, for some reason, feel like you can have, you know, be really out of shape throughout the rest of your body, but the brain gets a free pass. I'm not sure why we would think that, but we do, if you were to interview most people. And I found by incorporating daily PE movement in my life and throughout the day, that's another key part. It's not just the morning, but I actually set my, my clock um, every hour in the hour. It goes off actually every 50 minutes, and I do a 10-minute something. And then I go back down, and by 5 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, I'm as productive as I used to be between 8 and 10. Hmm. So what will you do in those 10 minutes? Um, I'll do – those clubs that I talked about, I'll do any kind of cross-body pattern. I'll do some of those jumping jacks or whatever, you know, historical things. A lot of different things. Sometimes I'll just go out and just move, you know, go for a walk, come back. I will do something, try to be a little bit vigorous for 10 minutes. And it's also helpful for me creatively to know that I'm going to just have to be on this for 50 minutes and I'm going to be able to have a break. When I'm doing something really hard creatively, you know, that moment where it's – you know what I'm talking about because you do this. We do the same thing. I can't – When you're deep in an edit When you're, or you're really in the hard stuff right. where it's just emotionally difficult, I set the alarm at 25 minutes. And there's a reason why because I'm borrowing what they used to do with these boys' schools in the 1800s. And then I take uh, a short break and then I go back every 25 minutes and that gets me through. That's what doubled my productivity in the end, just setting my clock like that. That's really fascinating. I actually thought you were going to say when you're involved in those really deep projects that you would set your alarm maybe every two hours because you can't drag – this is how I feel. I you're deep into something. You don't want to leave it because you actually feel as if you're doing quite well on it and you feel as if you're going to break the momentum by breaking what, from What it. I found is neurologically when I interviewed Dr. John Rady at Harvard and he, he wrote Spark and he's probably one of the best experts on exercise in the brain, that link. Your brain goes to sleep. It doesn't matter what you're thinking about. The longer you sit, that brain is turning off. And what turns it on is what the body does. And so that very notion of sitting there 
is a problem when you're trying to be really creative. And if it's really difficult, you need the full brain working. You need all those cells going. And that's why every 25 minutes it works better. There is an old boys' school still, still doing this in Ohio and where they – every 25 minutes they take a break and they send them outside for like 15 minutes. They have come back and they have like some of the highest scores in the country. I mean it's, it does work and we throughout our whole – not just education, but I'm interested in business right now. You know, personally, how do I be more productive mm. in my life? And I think that this would probably be the biggest single thing we can do in the corporate level to boost productivity and enhance everybody's quality of life as a result is if we incorporated movement throughout the day. And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we're the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Do you still think, and, and I've always felt this, that exercise is the most powerful tool that we have in, in, in terms of changing things, diet aside, to, to improve our lives? Yeah. Um, what I call exercise is the motivating factor. If you were to do a triangle between nutrition, sleep, and exercise, if you get the rest you need, when you wake up, it doesn't mean you necessarily feel like exercising or going to eat well. And same with eating well. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to want to go exercise or you're going, to go, you're going to sleep well that night or need to sleep. Um, when you exercise, you come back. One, if you do it for, consistently for three months, we've shown the studies, you will sleep well. In fact, you're, if you have any problems sleeping, that, that goes away after, after 90 days. Um, you're more interested in real nutrition. You're not as interested in that bagel anymore um, when you come back. So it's a motivation factor that propels and drives the other things we do. The other two things could limit it if you don't get the sleep you need or you don't get the nutrition you need. It's going to be a problem for your exercise. But it doesn't motivate you to do those other things. So it's, it's like a three-legged stool. It has to be there. You have to do all three. Um, but it could be the triggering factor as far as how do you get it started for everybody. I think – if you can incorporate exercise, the rest of it has a potential to fall into place. And how long, actually, first of all, do you mind me asking how old you are? I'm 48. You're 48. How long have you been living this kind of lifestyle, this kind of regimented lifestyle with the breaks from work and the exercise and the early mornings and early nights? That's a really good question. Um, with all of it together, I would say the past two, two and a half years. And I started the journey five and a half years ago. Um, that was the last time I was sick <laughs> and I used to get sick uh, for two weeks at a time, three times a year. And I went five and a half years without even a sniffle, which is quite remarkable. But Dr. Felice Gersh told me I went too long. <laughs> so ah, right, yeah. You're supposed to get sick more often. I'm not how you, sure how you put that in your schedule, but, um, Evidently, I went too far. Yeah, and, and Felice Gersh, of course, has been on this podcast. And uh, if, you, if you look in the episodes uh, directory on the on the website, uh, lamapodcast.com, you can listen to what she has to say on, on this and a number of other issues. But uh, that's interesting. So relatively speaking, in terms of your age, not that long. Do, do you often wish that as a, as a boy or what as happened, a young man you, you'd started? What happened to me is I was interviewing uh, Dr. Michael Rosen who actually is in the motivation factor, but I've had interviewed him for something else earlier. He's the chief, functional, uh, chief wellness officer at the Cleveland Clinic. 
And he's the one that told me that you can reverse at the cellular level aging and that it's possible to go back 30 years when you do it all correctly. And so I began the process and I, I thought, wow, I could make a total difference. I will tell you, I'm visibly different. My skin's different. Um, people, I, I used to, and this is, I should show you my driver's license, but I got a number of times asked if I wanted the senior, this is five years ago, five years ago, if I wanted the senior citizen discount. I guess you can, you, by age 55, you can get this. This has happened most of the time. It was I got it at my local swimming pool, what, turning yeah, 55. Yeah, and, and um, so... No one asked me that anymore. I actually got carded the other day going in somewhere, and I was super honored for that. So um, I look different, you know. Um, everything's different, but I feel it in my body and my, you know, and a lot of factors. Without getting too much detail, it is amazing what has happened. I could feel it happening. The other thing that I found interesting is my blood sugars are so even now. Um, my cravings for the junk food and everything else, I have a control that um, it's no longer, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. It's just I'm not interested. You don't want to do it. Yeah, I don't, I don't need it. And so, so that's what I found really exciting, especially if when I find so many people struggling. Like, what can they do? I go, you know, it's actually pretty basic stuff. Looking at this, I'm thinking it's just, it's just the stuff that we used to do as humans. And as a consequence often of technology – uh, an unhappy consequence of the technology, we stop doing it. And we have to be very purposeful now to get that back into our life. So let's talk about Fasting, the yeah. film, which is out now. It's available to view. And you referred before, I did as well, to intermittent fasting, to periodic fasting. And there is, and we've talked to Dr. Walter Longo about this uh, in, in some detail, and there is a, a significant difference between the right. two regimes yep. that I think it's fair to say most people don't get. I mean, the, the phrase intermittent fasting is used widely, but it, it can cover so many different regimes that can affect us in different ways. I, I couldn't even define what that means. Um, that's why you don't hear the word very much in the film um, because that's the problem of how, how it's used. I did intermittent fasting in the way that I would define that as I was I would stop eating at 8 o'clock and start again at noon and I did that for about 18 months until I learned about time-restricted feeding and that I was starting I was ending my eating too late and that there would be a big difference and it was just palpable. It was amazing what happens when you end earlier. So 7 o'clock is my never ever to go past, but I aim to be done by 6. Is, is this a circadian rhythm issue? Right, right. So our bodies, of course, are on a clock that naturally goes longer than the 24-hour rotation of the sun. And if we're not getting the sun like we need to and we're not getting – and we're not – eating during the daytime and we start eating at night, our bodies naturally get out of sync and that impacts our org- everything in our body, all the clocks, everything the body's supposed to do. And ultimately, when we look at the mouse models studies that they do, chronic illness goes away if you can just do one thing, and that is eat during the day and not at night. And the night will define right now for as a 12-hour or 13-hour period that would start somewhere along, you know, five or six and go until next morning, 13 hours later, whenever you start. So um, that to me is super fascinating that regardless of diet, regardless of exercise, regardless of anything that you can, if you happen to be a mouse, (laughs) eliminate all (laughs) chronic illness. Um, So that alone is interesting. The prolonged fasting. So now we're talking about what happens when you go 
beyond two days of fasting, your body goes into a different mode where it's in a survival state. And um, I heard from Walter Longo, he had an interview, and he mentioned that when you go beyond those two days, stem cells of your body, that's your body's natural repairman, that every day is going through and repairing your body by because we're tearing and ripping things up all day. Even the digestion process is really difficult for the body. And there's things that go wrong. So at night, um, it does a repair. As long as you're not eating too late, it'll go through a repair mode. And then if you do a long-term fast, it'll, it'll really search out where those errors are and fix them. So I had a problem with my elbow, a real problem. It had been more than two months, been three months actually, and it needed surgery. There was, once you, if you've gone two months and it hasn't healed, that particular issue. And I, I went and went to surgeons and I knew what I needed to do. And I decided, um, no one followed my advice, but I decided, you know what? I just wonder... If I fasted, would it heal it? So I waited three more months just to make sure that in every day it felt the same as when I originally ripped it. And I did a um, six-day fast. Um, I did have some product with it. I think I had some bone broth and some different things. But um, it was just liquid and it had very little, no calories and nothing that would throw me out. Um, And I felt it tightening up on day four. And um, much better by day six. And stem cells take a long time to actually repair. So I did nothing for six weeks. And then I started doing light Indian club work. And then I, um, I, I set a goal. It was December the 4th that I started my fast. This was last year. And I had a goal on March 18th to do my first pull-up. I was able to do it. And it was probably 80% better by June. And by, September, by December, it was beyond. It was 100%. I mean, there's no track that ever had a problem. So I thought that was really interesting. I started wondering, well, what else? Are we over-medicating? Are we, over, are we being really extreme in our you know, surgery? is pretty extreme. And, of course, just playing devil's advocate here, yeah. it might have healed anyway, even if you hadn't done the fast. Well, and we'll never know. If you do any studying on that particular injury, they say it won't. And that's why I waited all the way till that moment. But the bottom line is it started tightening up through on day three of the fast. Right. I, mean, I felt it. So, and Have you followed uh, up with doctors and got their response to all yeah, the impression? Yeah, what I actually I did have them actually look at the thing. And it, it has physically changed. I mean, it's, it's not – it doesn't have an injury anymore. It healed. Great. So um, that's a nice anecdotal thing. Yeah. Um, you, don't, you don't run healthcare systems based on one person's experience. And that's what's interesting about you know this film. We went and looked at people who actually have been doing it for a very long time with numbers, both, both animal studies as well as some uh, clinical trials. So let's delve uh, into the film, the people that you talked to. What aspect, I mean, clearly you were open-minded going into this. So what, what surprised you the most about what you found out? Honestly, when I went into the film, my personal prejudice was there There really is – everybody should fast and it's going to cure most problems. And I, I felt like it would cure all cancers. I, I just suspected that. Um, so rather than just being positive about the impact of fasting, you, you were at the end of the scale. You, you, you thought I was, it could I was, do more than it can? Right, right. Um, I did. I thought it would do more. And I found that it had boundaries. And I wanted to show in the film what some of those boundaries are, that there are boundaries. That surprised me when I went into it and realized, okay, it, like it's, it's effective for like nipnoma and, and cancer, but it's not that great for gross and other things. So there's, there's, it definitely has some things where you want to do it and other things where you're going to need to do some other medication or other approaches. And that was disappointing to me. Um, 
The other thing is I gained a new appreciation about how different everybody's bodies are. You know, we are all in a different spot. And when we say it's not necessarily for everybody, it's so complex that there does need to be some restraint and some respect for fasting. And, and while it's, it's not for everyone, and physically it's not for everyone, is it mentally not for everyone as well? Because you, you, do, you do need a certain mental determination, don't you, to go into this? Well, I mean, we covered all the different modalities. And I think that um, at, for most pe- of, of our population, some forms of fasting are going to be appropriate for them in their life. You know, we can we can identify specific groups of people who are maybe someone who's heavily in a de- eating disorder right now or had a history with it. You know, that that the film definitely covers that um, about why there should be reason for pause. And it also shows people who had eating disorders who overcame it and fasting played a, a role, which is very counter. So you're seeing both sides of that that one. Um, I think that most of our population and maybe almost I mean, almost almost all should be taught and should follow um, the traditional stop eating early and go at least 12, 13 hours. Which in most people's books isn't really fasting. It, it is, is not It is really just fasting. finishing eating right. early. That's all it is. It meets the definition, but yes, and most of them do that. Throughout history, all religions did at least a 24-hour fast. That, um, and there, I didn't have any experts feel like they were putting children or any adults in harm's way by doing so. I thought that was interesting. So um, it doesn't seem like until we're getting a little bit longer beyond that, basically when the body starts to go to starvation mode, before there seems to be too much reason to be concerned. So can, can, I was, you, can you put an hour on that? No, no, because I think that some people's bodies are do it sooner than others based on how clean and how quickly you can switch over. Um, generally speaking, I would put 48 hours. Anything beyond 40 hours is when you're kind of starting to get into that stuff. Um, I think that would be a rule of thumb. Is that yep. your understanding? Yeah, yeah. I know of somebody who I think gets, gets in there. Kevin Rail in my film, um, his body's super clean. Uh, probably the cleanest human on the earth is orthorexia. Anyone who knows what that is, those people take it all to the extreme. Um, his, I, I've been watching him and tracking him pretty closely. It seems to me like the way he describes how he feels in a 48-hour fast is how I'm feeling later in my fast. I have to go longer before I'm to that spot. So I think he's entering it earlier, which he hasn't even tested him, so he needs to. But mm. So I think that there's a little bit of variation on, on you know, human to human. Um, other things that surprised me, I was surprised at the extreme opinions of fasting. I didn't realize it was that much of a hot button. That there are, there's a population who feels like it's just so dangerous, we should never touch this topic. And then there are others who are kind of similar to me going into the film who felt like, hey, it's just blue sky. There's no reason for caution. Everybody could do this. And, and we're just saying that, you know, to be cautious because we have to. But right. in reality. But now I don't say it because we have to. I've, I interviewed people who almost died fasting. And, you know, that – that's a reason to be concerned. And now, granted, I didn't find anybody who really had a problem inside of those first 21 days. Um, I think as a rule of thumb, a lot of people could do okay. But Walter Longo pointed out, if you're on medication, certain drugs, actually, you can have a problem much earlier. And he cited an example where a person was in a fasting clinic, not a good one. It doesn't exist anymore in America. Um, 
who was on metformin and died in the care in that time period. So um, there is reason for concern. They don't. They actually don't. Rec- and that's his his group, um, El Nutro with Prolon. They suggest you don't do any caffeinated anything, even caffeine. So, right. which there are other people out there saying calling their diets a coffee kind of a diet. You know that. And so it's very interesting when you're looking at what the science is showing, their approach versus what I would call more of a, a blogger's approach. But my understanding on the caffeine thing is that actually they don't, no one really understands the potential impact of, of caffeine as it might interact with the, the fasting process. Right, so right. what happens to you while you're fasting? How could caffeine Affect that. Oh, so they don't, they don't know what's bad. They just are concerned because it is a drug, like all drugs. It, it, could, know, it could potentially it could change things. And, and especially when you're looking at large numbers of people. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So thank you for. So, so essentially keeping everything as clean as possible. Absolutely. That, that there's nothing else going in that could interact. And which is why, if you're taking medications, it is so crucial to have. It doesn't necessarily mean that all medications are ruled out, but you need to have them checked out for possible interactions by, by a doctor. Um, my personal experience with fasting is it relates to my skin and relates to those little fatty cells that go all over your body. Uh, most of those all disappeared for me. And um, I felt different when I'm in my fasting mode. I, I visually could see what hap- what's happening. It's triggered. And, and then at the same time, it healed my elbow. So you're sitting there going, it's doing all these different things. It's triggered so many processes of the body. The reason it kind of a subtitle I had, you know, it's more powerful than any other drug on earth is because we don't have a drug that does that. We don't have a drug. I mean, every drug triggers processes and more than we want. So that's why we have side effects, right? But um, we don't have any drug that triggers everything going like it does. It just, it just sends it in motion. So it's super interesting, super interesting. I think that it's going to hold the key to a lot of uh, reduction in healthcare cost as physicians become competent in its understanding and application. But um, we're not there yet. I mean, and so it's interesting to just kind of show the film is uh, here's where we're at. Um, and one thing that you, you don't really delve into in the film, but, but it clearly impacts us all, and that is the, the negative messages that we get in terms of those that want to fast, just in society, yeah, seeing yeah. the food advertising, seeing the, oh, the, oh, yeah. well, the, the uh, sorry, I say it's negative if you <laughs> right, want to fast. Right, right. The encouragement to eat is yeah. all around us all of the time. Do you notice when you're fasting, all of a sudden, it, it becomes more obvious. Absolutely, it, totally. It's yes. really interesting. Yeah, and that can be a billboard, it can be a TV ad, it can be any mention of, of food. And you're, you're not just aware of it being food, but you're perhaps, and usually food advertising is burgers dripping with cheese or right. bacon or whatever. You become, and I think if you understand these things, you understand the p- potential negative impact of eating those foods that are being advertised in front of you. The first time I did a 48-hour fast, I was planning going four days and I was like falling over. It was a water fast. And I was, it was two in the afternoon. I'd started at five o'clock, you know, so I was coming close to the 48 hour moment and I'm just laying on the couch and all of a sudden for the first time in my life, I craved kale. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even like kale before. I've had kale since. It's really interesting that, and that was just a 40 hour fast. <laughs> I have found that my taste buds are for me personally, I get a little bit of a reset. I don't want to use the word all the way reset. I know it's something they're trying to test now. 
But I, I have experienced a lot more control and a lot of different desires for things. And so I find that those first couple of days, those ads bother me way more than they do around day five, six right. of a fast. Because your, your whole mindset changes over yeah. those five yeah. days. And you get to a point, and I usually get to that point after about day three, of enjoying it and relishing it and enjoying it's not a hunger feeling, but it's a feeling of, of emptiness that's a, in, in a positive sense that you just get a, an energy from it. And therefore, you're not going to feel good about those food ads and those impulses that come at you. You know, one other thing I've just thought of about what I was surprised with the film is the necessity to do a really, really long fast in some applications. The story, the stories that are in the film, in many cases, are in journal articles. They've been peer-reviewed. Um, the, the example, one example would be um, there's a, there's a story about what happened at True North, this really long fasting clinic, and this person had a chronic headache. And she went 19 days. She tried everything there was. Uh, she went 19 days in a water fast situation before she had five minutes of relief. It took 40 days before she was able to get rid of the headache, and it took a whole other application six months later, another 40 days to, to eliminate the headache. And what's interesting there is that would not have gone away with time-restricted feeding. It would not have gone away with a four-day water fast or, you know, fasting mimicking diet. And, and so there are different things that happen with time in fasting. And, um, and when I talk to the experts in the film, all of them are really reticent about coming up with any formulas about, you know, here's how long you should fast for this thing. Even even the person who ran that fasting clinic has for 37 years. He says that they have no schedule for with, you got this ailment. It doesn't like okay, that's a five year, that's a five day thing. This is a seven day thing or forty day thing. That doesn't exist at all. And, and and so when people come and they think that they can just by reading for an hour or two about fasting on a couple blog sites, figure it out exactly what they need to do, and it's going to just solve the thing without you know real consultation with competent care. Um, they just didn't understand what they're up against. Because the people who've been doing this for 37 years plus, or they don't, they haven't come to that type, type of knowledge base, and they've read everything there is. So there's a lot to this. That's, I guess that's my big surprise is how much more there was to this than I realized. Yeah. And, and, and it is evolving science. And Absolutely. we're not even close there. Yet. And one of the difficulties, of course, when we're looking at longevity science, and fasting is part of that for me, um, it's so difficult to set up clinical trials because you need the involvement of, of people. You need the consistent involvement of, of people. We, we've looked at mice. We've looked at well, that's the problem with flies. food, too. Food. You've got to prove these things to be long-term beneficial in humans. Dr. Uh, or, or Dan Party, he's at Stanford doing research right now on sleep. And, and he said food is hard. It's very difficult to truly measure food just by the way we it, – it's not like we, we, aren't, we aren't all identically male specimens living in a cage like they do with genetically identical mice. So there's too many variables at play. So it's tough. So fasting's tough with it for the same reasons. There's a, there's a lot of things that are difficult. Um, but we do know a lot already, and that's that's the part that's exciting. And I would say for most, for many, many ailments, you can probably see relief by involving fasting. How can we see fasting? The easiest way to see the links and everything, because it's going to change with time, is fastingmovie.com. So if you go to fastingmovie.com, I mean, right now it's on Real House, but soon it'll be on Amazon, iTunes, and everywhere else. 
And so that would be the best way to go. And do you have any social media or anywhere where people can interact with you? Uh, my website's DougOrchard.com and um, Doug Orchard Films on Facebook. Um, and, and if you just type in Doug Orchard, I think I'm the first page on pretty much everything. Excellent. Doug, it's been really good. Really, really interesting stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I think I, one thing I have, I have, as you know, we've talked about it. We, I've done a lot of fasting myself and I'm going to continue with periodic fasting this year, the five day periodic fast. But I've never actually religiously stopped eating at 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. Mm. I'm going to try that. Yeah. I'm going to try it this year because I am kind of inspired by what you say. I think if, if, if our population did that and did a quarterly fast, those are the two things I think. Um, would be the secret sauce. From my understanding right now is my takeaway. That's what I'm doing. Every quarter, I'm going to do a four-day fast or five-day fast, and and, um, and I'm always doing time-restricted feeding. I'm going to try it. Doug, thanks so much. Thank you. And just before we go, uh, once again, if you are considering adopting a new diet, especially fasting, which can be dangerous, you should always consult your doctor first. Now, we're trying to constantly grow this podcast, and I'd just like to thank you if you've been listening over the past year. Thanks for your support and your feedback, which is very much appreciated. If you're listening on a platform where you can leave a review, like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, five-star review would be hugely appreciated if you think we deserve it. It is uh, really a, a big help as we move forward with the podcast. And just finally, a reminder that there are several ways to listen to us. You can visit the Live Long and Master Aging website for all of the options. We're at LamaPodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. The site is constantly evolving with new information and there's a searchable index of all of our episodes. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.